Good morning. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? I had a good Thanksgiving. Got to go away for a few days and eat turkey. It's always fun celebrating Thanksgiving with the Brits. Uh, my wife is Welsh, um, and so we sort of have this kind of like wonderful way of, of doing Thanksgiving. It was awesome. Um, and then it ended with a weekend off. I don't normally get Saturday nights. Saturday nights are work nights for me, but I was... Um, uh, took last night off because uh, Jill's preaching today. Yes. Um, I don't know what's going to be clear over the next 20 minutes, but one thing I want to be clear is I am not Jill Williams, who is supposed to be preaching today. Uh, but I got a call at about 4 o'clock this morning that Jill is ill. I choose to believe that. I choose to believe that as an Auburn alum, she wasn't out celebrating <laughs> their victory last night. I'd make that choice. I choose to believe uh, that she, that she is, is ill, and, and she is. She, has, she got food poisoning, um, and I know, and I just made jokes about it, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's going to be on the internet, and... It's called leadership right there. That's what that is. Um, but she's feeling better. She texted me actually before the A15 service to say that she was starting to, to feel a bit better. But, um, but hi. So, you, uh, so we're now in this together, all of us. Uh, because it's one thing to try to do this uh, like one impromptu time. This is now the fourth time I've tried to do sort of a revelation impromptu thing uh, this morning. And so we'll see. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, because we've actually talked about this as a pastoral staff, like how would we want to handle a situation like this? So we were prepared, right? John, Jill, and I had talked about what do you do uh, if someone's so sick on that rare chance that someone's so sick who's supposed to preach, because every preacher is preached not feeling well, but if you're so sick, you literally can't do it. And I had a ton of opinions about here's what I would do, right? Uh, which is great when you don't actually have to do it. Uh, and, and one of my opinions was, uh, and still is, at this moment, but this is subject to ex being examined after today, uh, is that one of the things we knew other churches had done when this happens is that the person who's preaching just emails a manuscript of their sermon to someone else and that person just reads it, right? Um, and I get that. I mean, Jill sent me a manuscript of her sermon just so that I could understand, you know, like what the scripture is and uh, what we were doing. And, uh, and she said, you know, you can use this however you want. And she really, and I mean this in all seriousness, she wrote a great sermon for today. And I really look forward to her giving it at some point. She really did, uh, which if you know Jill and, and have heard her preach, is certainly not surprising. Um, but that's not what we're going to do. And I want to explain what we're going to do for a second, okay? Um, preaching is not one person giving information to other people. That's not what this is. If that's what this is, then I would just read something that's like, this is what Jill thought, and it's really good exegesis, and it's got some interesting application points, and so there we go. It's just information. Preaching isn't supposed to be that, I don't believe. Uh, what I believe a sermon is supposed to be is, is an opportunity for the person who's preaching um, to, through Scripture, and Andy Stanley talks about this, who's a pastor in Atlanta, uh, he, is that through Scripture, the person who's preaching develops a burden 
And it's a burden that they carry that they have to kind of work out with people. And he says, you've got to feel that burden. And Jill felt a burden. It was clear in what she wrote, but she can't, someone can't give that burden to someone else. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I can't just feel that um, for her. And so starting about 4 a.m., um, I kind of started looking at the text for today and, uh, and asking what a burden would be. And I, f- I feel a burden. Um, <laughs> On several different levels, I feel a burden today, but I actually do believe that God wants to speak to us today. I have complete confidence in that. And, and every Sunday we start this time of preaching with a prayer. And it's never that we don't mean that prayer. We always mean it because preaching or worship is not something that we can control, right? What we're asking is we're asking God to work through us to change hearts and minds. No matter who is preaching, no one has the ability to do that on their own. No one. And no one should have that much power. It's God who has to work through you. And so there are just times when we pray this prayer that we're just more aware of our need for God to work than other times. We always mean it. Today is a day I am very aware of how much we need the Holy Spirit to show up. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks that you use ordinary people to do extraordinary work, that you use the people in this room to do extraordinary work, and that you could even use someone like me. We pray for Jill and give thanks for her and her many gifts, and we're glad that she's starting to mend from this um, illness and pray that she would continue to rest and mend throughout the day. But as we sit here, we pray that you would speak to us all, shape us and our lives and our hearts and our minds so that we might live abundantly and fully this day and this week and always. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things you hope for when you're going to do something more like this is that we're going to like that the scripture is just like a sort of safe down the middle in the fairway, like something from Mark or something like that. Um, You know, not that that's not important, but it's just like, okay, I can sort of handle this. Of course, we're going from Revelation today was what Jill had chosen. Um, I feel a burden. From Revelation chapter one, starting in verse four, I invite you to listen now to God's word to us all today. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wait. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So so one of the things that I think is important to name about what today is and kind of the, 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 what we're bringing here to worship is that this is a very important and specific day in the life of the church. And by the church, I don't just mean covenant. I mean capital C, Church Universal. And what this is is that, uh, is that we are part of a tradition uh, that involves many churches and many different denominations that have the option of, of working under the lectionary, uh, the liturgical calendar, 
okay? And the liturgical calendar works like this. It's the way that the church uh, marks a year. It doesn't start in January. Our liturgical year actually starts next Sunday, the beginning of Advent. Advent is when we begin the year. And so this is the last Sunday of the liturgical year, of 52 year, weeks of the liturgical year. Now, some churches, every single Sunday, they follow the liturgical calendar. And that's totally, that's totally good, right? Uh, so every week, they are sort of following this liturgical calendar for what to do in worship. Many churches don't follow it at all. Okay, so it's kind of a range of what folks do. Covenant's kind of a hybrid of that. And what I mean by that is, is that there are certain times of the year where we really pay attention and follow the liturgical calendar. We always do that, for example, during Advent, starting next week. Advent is one of the most special times I know in this church and in many churches as we prepare for the birth of Jesus, uh, some of the most special worship times that we have. That's the beginning of the year, and we follow the liturgical calendar then, right? We follow it during Lent. We follow it during Holy Week. So there are times of the year where we follow this calendar. There's other times where we operate with a bit of freedom in it. So for instance, we just finished a series entitled Faithful Presence last Sunday. And that was not part of the liturgical calendar. So we kind of moved away from it for a little time. That's what I mean by us being a hybrid, okay? But today is a day when the liturgical calendar is giving us direction in our worship service. Uh, and in the scripture that Jill chose for today, because today, the final Sunday of the year, is known as Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday. And that's not a special thing this year that was chosen. That's how every single year the liturgical calendar ends, is with this Sunday called Christ the King Sunday. And that's significant, guys. Like, if you stop and think of it, what it's saying is, no matter what's taking place in our world, this is how we end the year. And if you think about the last year, there's been a lot that's taken place in our world. There's been a whole lot that's taken place in our world. And yet what we end this year by saying is planting a flag in the ground and saying no matter what all is going on in our world, this is our final declaration that Jesus is Lord, that he is King. It says that it doesn't matter what else you've been talking about as a church. And we've been talking about stuff. Faithful presence, for example. It's saying no matter what you talk about, we need to end in a very clear way that says Jesus is King. He is Lord. He is Messiah. At the end of the year, if nothing else, that is what we want to come through crystal clear for everybody that's gathered here, that Jesus is Messiah, Lord, King. He's not, he's not just our kind of buddy, our friend that sort of kind of gives us advice every once in a while. He's not like just a really wise person that gives us some suggestions like, oh, I want to think about that. You know, um, the golden rule. And we're like, oh, yeah, I want to kind of consider that with what it means for my life. No, he's not just a wise teacher. He's not just giving sage advice. It's not a self-improvement plan. His Christianity, if we follow it enough, we just become better and better and better and better people. It's the understanding that is foundational to our faith and everything that we're about, that Jesus is the Lord of creation, King of the universe, King and Lord of our lives. And so we end the year by making that claim boldly, and it's a celebration. Now, 
The language of king, kingship, monarchy, is not something that most of us as Americans, uh, for those of us who are Americans here, that's not language that we're just sort of naturally drawn to, right? That's not language that we're like, oh, I love that language. Because part of the story of our country is we're like, oh, we don't trust that, right? We overthrew, there was a king, and he was like uh, George or somebody, the third or fourth or second or something way back there, and there was a tea party in Boston, and we just don't trust it, and I had to take tests on this in class, and there was taxation without representation and all this other stuff, but basically, we don't do monarchs. We don't do that here, and that's true. There's a lot about being a king that is language that might make us feel suspicious, Kings can, uh, or queens, can be like ultra-wealthy, ultra-powerful. They don't have to answer to anybody. Our government doesn't work that way. But what we're not saying is that Jesus is the president for the next four years, and if he, we feel like he does a good enough job, we'll re-elect him until his term limits come up. We're saying that he is king. Now, if that language makes us a little uncomfortable, we wouldn't be the only ones who felt that way. John, who wrote this book of Revelation, or was given this revelation by God and wrote it down, which is the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation we just read from, John knew about the power that can be abused by a monarch. Because John writes this book from an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea in the last years of his life. John, we believe, was the Apostle John who had been with Jesus and was one of the 12 who followed Jesus and that, um, that, that, that John uh, was living out his final years on this Mediterranean island, which can sound great, right? If you've been there before, you're like, man, that's a good way to end your final years, right? On the Mediterranean, nice blue water, good climate, you know, it's kind of a beautiful place to be, sunsets, and you know, man, John, after years of retirement, I mean, in retirement, after ministry and working, good for you, John, retiring in the Mediterranean. But John is not there in retirement. John is on an island called Patmos that is a rocky little outcropping where no one else lived, and he lived his final days as an old man having to find and eke out his existence in a cave. And the reason he's there was because of the abuse of power of a king. The king at the time was the Roman emperor Domitian. And Domitian, among his other acts of power, when the early church was, was starting to blossom, was that Domitian decided that everybody in the Roman Empire needed to be able to say that Domitian is Lord. So Domitian had images of himself, images of himself and of his power, and whenever asked, they would have to kneel before this image of Domitian and declare Domitian is Lord. Domitian had a very healthy ego, okay? It's like everybody's going to need to publicly say that I am Lord. So John knew about the abuse of power of a king. Early Christians would have known about the abuse of power of a king. And so if that language seems different to us, it would have maybe seemed really unsettling to the first Christians who heard this. But John is using this language intentionally. And he says in the verses we just read in verse 5 and 6, he said, now listen, part of what we got to understand is that the kind of king that we follow, the kind of Lord that we follow, the kind of kingdom that we're a part of as followers of Jesus doesn't operate on these power spectrums the way that we experience in the Roman Empire. He says that our king is defined by one in verse 5 whose blood was spilled out of love for us. 
He says, our king, in the words of Jesus, is not one who came to be served, but to serve. That that is the foundation and the hallmark of the king that we follow. And so John's saying we have to understand who this king is and what he is about if we're to follow him. And then he says, and then you and I are called to be priests, ambassadors of that kingdom. That what Jesus represents, you and I are called to go into the world. That our life is about more than just making money and going on vacation and having a family and getting married and uh, having, you know, the greatest Facebook posts of all time and see who can get the most likes or, you know, everything else. That, that as good as that is and having this amazing life that people look at you and go, man, you're just really successful and your kids are really successful. He says, no, that actually the point of why we live is that we are priests of a kingdom. A kingdom that is built on grace and love a kingdom that is built on the truth of God and that we are ambassadors of that and it is living for those things that give our life purpose, meaning, direction. So living as a follower of this king is, is important. It's important we not lose that language. And friends, here's why. Here's why I believe it's important that we not miss this day and this year. Because we are broken people, all of us, living in a broken world. We are broken people, all of us, living in a broken world. Now that does not mean that there's not good in this world. We just had the week of Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is an important time because if you are like me, I spend most of my time thinking about what I don't have or what I want or what I haven't accomplished yet. And so it's a good spiritual discipline to have Thanksgiving to be reminded of the good things that God has given us. But the fact is, even at Thanksgiving, you and I can be reminded of the brokenness in our world and the brokenness in our own hearts, can't we? Sometimes it's more inescapable at the, during the holidays than any other time. For example, we are aware of those who are not sitting around our table anymore. We're aware of those who have loved us and shaped our lives who have passed on. And while we can stay really busy a lot of the year and just moving forward in that, sometimes when you have to sit and have a meal, you are aware of the empty seats that are there and of the vacancy that exists in your heart that will never completely be filled. We're aware of brokenness. We're aware of those seats that are empty because of strained relationships. Maybe because of our own doing. Maybe because of potentially our own selfishness. Maybe because we said something or did something that we wish we could take back. And that a relationship that used to be easy and natural is now strained and separated. We can be aware of tensions that exist at this time of the year that most of the rest of the days that we have the ability to just ignore or act like they don't bother us anymore or move beyond. That we see events like what took place in Egypt this week, which is just a long litany in a line of events that pop up in a time like the holidays. They can take our breath away. It can remind us that we need more than just a self-improvement plan or an ability to love ourselves more or an ability to follow some rules from some sage advice in order to change the ways we interact. That the truth is that we are broken people living in a broken world.
And God loves us dearly. That God loves us dearly. And that the God we worship is not just one who gives advice. He doesn't just give suggestions. That he is one who entered into the brokenness. Who entered into the brokenness of the world. Who knows the brokenness that can exist in our hearts. That knows how unbelievably kind we can be one minute. And patient we can be one minute. And unbelievably selfish and self-centered we can be the next. Who understands about how human beings work and how powers and principalities work in this world. Who has encountered all of that and didn't just move away from it unscathed. But that the cross is his heavenly sign, his kingdom sign. All emperors, all kings have signs of their power. Ours is the sign of a cross. Of a cross that says that yes, God knows the brokenness of this world. But that that cross is empty and has been overcome. It has overcome the death and the destruction and the pain that exists in this world and that that is the foundation of all that we are and all that we teach and all that we believe and all that we find hope in. And so that is what I want you to hear today. I want you to hear that our faith is not a faith that needs to be an escape every once in a while from the difficulties of this world or the pain that we experience or the hardship or the loneliness or the divorce or the alienation or whatever it is. But that today we claim the power of God to overcome it all. Where we look it in the face for all that it is and know that it will not be the end of our story or those whom we love. And we plant that flag in the ground not because of who we are, but because we follow the king who has overcome it all. So today we celebrate because we follow the alpha and the omega the one who is in the beginning and the end, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who was and is and is to come, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, Jesus our King. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that your hope would reign in our broken world and even in our lives. That today is not a day of celebration, acting as though the hardship is not there, but today is a day we celebrate because the hardship will not have the final say in our lives. Because you are more than one who gives rules and advice but you are one who has encountered this world and overcome it all. May we worship you with full hearts that you have given us hope and direction in life. Today, in this life, and in the one to come, we worship you, our Lord and King. Amen.